All right, so tonight I feel the Lord putting on my heart. Um, this was really just for what I feel like the Lord is saying to me and to this house for, for this year. Such a neat time of, uh, of year when it's right at the beginning and things are fresh, and I feel like the Lord is saying new things, at least to me. So this is what I, I feel like I have for you. The, um, the Lord gave me four words of focus, four words that as a body and as an individual that I know he wants me to focus on. And it kind of started one of my very best friends. She asked me, they came for New Year's, and she asked me, what, what are your focus words? What are you focusing on this year? And I was like, oh, you mean like a resolution? Like lose weight or like go to the gym more than once um, all year? <laughs> Maybe that would help. And she's like, no, I mean like the words you really want to focus on. So that kind of got me thinking, and I started praying about the words that the, that the Lord would have for this year. And the first word, I have four. And the first word that I, I felt the Holy Spirit give me was pursue or pursuit. The first scripture I have is James 4, 8. So if you um, want to turn there with me, I, I did my outline for tonight, yesterday, and spent, I just felt like so good about it. And I was, Jesus, I love all this word you're giving me. Like, you're so awesome. Opened it today to review. It was gone. Gone. I was like, actually, more specifically, at 4 o'clock this afternoon, I was like, okay, Holy Spirit, you're going to have to just remind me of everything you told me yesterday. And I think it's a nice little practice in trusting in him. Um, so that's fun. Uh, James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And you probably all know that scripture. And I love that passage of scripture in there because it implies when we draw near to God, he'll draw, draw near to us that we kind of have the say, like, I feel like God will go, only get as close to us as we let him. And that means that when he's feeling, when we feel like he's distant or he's far away, it's only because we haven't started moving forward. So as this word was coming to mind and, this, and the Holy Spirit was giving me this word, what it means to pursue, I was thinking about how in a marriage relationship, I've been married six years, so that totally makes me an expert. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I still know nothing. Um, but in a marriage relationship, couples kind of go back and forth between actively pursuing each other and actively pursuing uh, each other's good to sometimes just existing in the relationship. Like, I know that you're my husband. I know that I'm your wife. We're just kind of here. We're going about our business every day. Um, Chris and I work together, so sometimes, like, I realize we have to have some kind of firewall. Like, we cannot just always talk about work. So we go back and forth between this little cycle that kind of naturally happens between just existing and really moving forward and progressing. And even when you're in like a courting situation, and I know women are like this, I don't know if men are like this too, but you usually want to know that a relationship's moving forward. Like you have that like define the relationship talk or like, well, what is this? Where are we going? I want to know that we're going to the same place. And you have that destination talk. And it's kind of funny that we, we recognize that feeling in, in a relationship, but we don't always think about it, what it means for our relationship with the Lord. And really, our relationship with God should always be progressing. We should always be getting to know him more and spending more time with him and desiring to be closer to him and pursuing him. Because as we pursue him, he pursues us. And so um, that's I, I love the picture that marriage gives us of, of our relationship with, with Christ. And it's really just as, as much as we pursue him, that's, that's how much he pursues us. So I just, I love that passage, and that's what I felt like the Lord was really telling us to move into this new level of pursuit of his presence. And um, Psalm 119, 105, I'll just read this to you. It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
And then another verse in Psalm 119 is 130. The entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So as we pursue God and we pursue his word, his word is a light to us. When we're daily pursuing a relationship with God and actively in his word daily, our way, our path before us is lit. It's like that light gets brighter and we know where we're going and we, we, we know that we have him walking side by side and hand in hand with us and we're not alone. We know all those things. But when we grow complacent in that relationship, when we grow stagnant, our path becomes dim and that way becomes slowly darker and darker and darker until we're just uh kind of fumbling around in the dark we're stumbling around so we just like in a marriage relationship when you're just kind of existing we we do that where we have the knowledge that we're the children of God but we're not walking in the power of it so I feel like that's one thing that God is saying to us that this is the year to truly actively pursue him and walk side by side and we're to progress and to move forward not to be stagnant and just content with how things are and with what we know of him now and with, and, and with where our relationship's at. But we, we have to have the knowledge that we're his children, but have the revelation that there's a certain level of power and authority that comes with that. So um, that's, that's the first word I felt, the first word of focus. The second one is obey. This one's a little scary. Um, <laughs> I, I just remember learning the song as a kid, O-B-E-Y, obey your mom and dad, that one. O-B-E-Y, it makes them very glad, or something like that. Listen to the words they say, obey your parents every day, or something like that. Uh, we definitely sang that a lot when I was a child. Um, but there's definitely a lot the scripture has to say about obedience. I feel like this year God's wanting to bring us to walk in a new level of obedience, to this radical abandoned obedience to him and to his voice. So I have Genesis chapter 4, verses, it will start at verse 3. This is Cain and Abel. So we're here with Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons. I'm going to start at verse 3. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. So um, when I began studying that passage of scripture and what it really meant for obedience, I always kind of felt bad for Cain, to be honest with you, before I understood what this meant. I was kind of like, what the heck? Like, he brought something too. Like, and then I realized that it didn't meet, it didn't meet the criteria uh, Abel brought the first fruits, the, the firstborn of his flock, the very best. He gave his very best to God, and, and he obeyed what God had said, what he had instructed him to do. And Cain was like, no, nah, it's cool. I think this will do. Although I'm still giving something, right? But he didn't obey what the Lord said. And there's another part in Scripture. I'm just going to go right to another passage to sort of uh, wrap this, this part up. Um, First Samuel. So I don't want to totally leave what happened with Cain and Abel, but... Um, 1 Samuel 10, there's a lot of, I love the book of 1 Samuel, but it's my favorite. Okay, so this is when Saul was anointed king. There's um, some very important instruction that Saul is given by Samuel. So we're going to start at chapter 10, verse 8, and this is when um, he's being anointed king, and, and, Saul, and Samuel gives him in, um, some instruction. It says, you shall go down before me to Gilgal, I think I'm saying that right, Gilgal? 
and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. And then jump over to chapter 13. Verse 6. So now uh, Saul is off doing what Samuel told him to do. And he's um, supposed to be waiting for Samuel eight, uh, seven days. And verse 6. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves and thickets, in rocks and holes and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. And Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered together at... Is that that? Micmash? Cool. Then I said, The Philistines will now, uh, will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now... The Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So basically, your disobedience has now altered your entire course, of, uh, the entire course that you were on. Um, and later on, there's even another part, another, um, I didn't put it in here because my outline died. But uh, there's another time when uh, Saul goes, just, uh, just a couple chapters over, when his instructions were to go and defeat the Amalekites, and they were to utterly wipe everything out. And so he goes in, and he's like, yes, I will do this. I will do And he says, spare nothing. Don't spare any, no cattle, no children, no nothing. Kill everything. And so Saul said he, he'll go and do it, and then he goes in, and he spares the king. He brings the king back alive. It's in chapter 15 if you, if you want to the, write the reference down. He, um, he spares the king and he sa saves some of the cattle and um, doesn't quite follow the instructions. And um, this is chapter 15, verse 10. So it's King Agag. I think he, he spares him, doesn't do what he's supposed to do. Now this is uh, chapter 15, verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to uh, Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he has gone on ground, passed by, and gone to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep, the sheep in my ears, and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And they said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? 
Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and I have brought back Agag, king of Amalek, have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have, utter, <clears throat> which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. So Saul has a number of issues um, in this passage, (laughs) but I'm not going to go through all of them because I feel like there's so many different things you can learn from that. But I believe that when we're not obeying God, it's, it's almost like... He kind of meant well, but it's like saying you know better than what God told you to do. And um, obedience, like what he says, obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is the most pure form of worship that we can offer to the Lord. And in fact, just like when he tried to, to give a sacrifice but was in disobedience, God would not receive the sacrifice. Just like Cain was not in, in compliance with, with the law of the Lord he was not being obedient. God couldn't, God was displeased with that sacrifice. So, if we're not walking in obedience, it makes any other act of worship that we try to offer void. It's, it's no good anymore. Oh, we, it has to first be obedience. So this, I believe that the Lord is telling me and, and telling this house that this is the year to walk in radical obedience to the Lord. And um, we can pray for obedience to become our default. For, for our first response, uh, for it to always be to obey. And um, it's funny, when you're a child and, and you learn to obey your parents, and my parents always told us that if we don't learn to obey them, we won't learn to obey God, which I hated hearing when I was little, but I totally get it. Um, because really, <laughs> I, I get why, I get, I get the point. But um, when we learn to obey it's almost like it becomes this response, and even if we don't want to do it, really, we're, we're, it's like I remember being, like, I, I'd never really had a lot of rebellion in my heart or anything. It's pretty strong-willed, but I, I, don't, I did always have it in my heart to obey. I felt like when I was told to do something, I, I would have to make a conscious choice to not do it. My, my first response would always want to be to please and, and to do what I was asked, but um, I actually remember the time when I really started realizing the importance of, of obedience toward the Lord. And I, I know you always hear the story about Jonah. I know I don't want to get swallowed up by a whale. I really want to be obedient. And um, so <laughs> at least that's what I thought when I was little. But um, I actually remember having this experience, and I won't go too much into it. But um, And I don't think Precious would mind if I told this story if she was here. And I'm probably going to cry when I tell it. But um, I first discovered how important walking in obedience was and how it can really become like a, a go-to response. It can become your default because we were actually at Precious's baby shower. I'm trying to think, how old is Josiah? Like two? Three. Okay, so it was over three years ago. And at that time, I'd been told I couldn't, I didn't know if I'd be able to have babies or anything like that. So I was, that was a really hard, I didn't want to go to anybody's baby shower. Like, heck no. <laughs> I was like, don't show me another pregnant lady. Like, it was really hard. And I was, we were sitting around at Precious's baby shower, and, and I was really, you know, we were all happy for Precious and praying for her and just, um, you know, really blessing the, the, 
the um, the process in what she was about to endure with just giving birth and all that kind of stuff. And I felt, and we were just kind of sitting there praying, and I felt the Lord tell me, and I'm, I'm hoping Precious won't mind me saying this, but um, I remember the Lord telling me to go get a bowl and to wash her feet. Someday I'll be able to do this without crying, but I don't know when that day will come. So, <laughs> so really... I remember going like, God, that's really embarrassing. I don't want to do that. And, um, and I remember sitting there and going like, what, seriously? And I'm arguing with God a little bit just because it was kind of like, are you really going to do that right now? And I remember Precious actually had said, like, I just know the spirit of God is going to move at my baby shower. And we were in prayer and everything. And I remember there was still just this deep emptiness inside me at that time. And I got up and I went to the kitchen and I realized I'm in there with a big bowl and I'm cleaning it out and, and like preparing water before I ever really consciously made the decision to do it <laughs> like I was I remember going in there and going like wait God I haven't decided if I'm going to do this or not <laughs> like why what am I doing here and I and I'm, I think I told Becky that and she's like well that's obedience that's just it becomes an innate response when you walk in it enough I'm like well that's nice <laughs> I stood there I remember saying I don't I don't know if I want to do this this is this is odd and I felt like I was there, and I realized I'm sitting there at Precious's feet, and, and we're just washing her feet and praying over her. And I realized, like, I was doing what God told me to do before I really made the choice, too. And I feel like that's, and not that I always have walked in obedience like that. That was a miracle. Um, but I feel like that's the level of obedience that, that where our heart should just always be to obey. And the Lord brings that picture to my mind whenever I, I feel like I have to do something that I don't really want to do but that I know he's telling me to do. It's, it's really, really difficult. But, but I'm, okay, God, I, I'm, I remember hearing your voice. I know what it sounds like. I know you're telling me to do this. I don't want to, but I will. And it becomes this response. And I feel like the Lord's wanting to really, really put that in us, to always be quick to obey and, and quick to, to heed his voice because that's where true peace comes. When we walk under that covering, when we choose to stay in obedience, and to not rebel against the things, uh, to, to not rebel against his commandments. That's where blessing comes. And that's um, when, when we choose to walk in disobedience, we literally walk out from under the covering of the Holy Spirit. And it's a very dangerous place to be. So um, the next word, the third word, I'm very out of breath because I keep drinking coffee. It's like caffeine rush. It's my favorite way to be. Okay, the, the next word I have is, is stewardship. So we've done... Not stewardship, but stewardship. Um, So the word was pursue, obey, and then now it's stewardship. So turn with me to Matthew 25. And I'll try not to cry again tonight, but I'm not making any guarantees. It's always waterworks. Matthew 25, verse 14. Sorry, I should have said that. It's the parable of the talents. So I'm just going to read this if, if you're there. 25:14. This is Jesus speaking. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. 
So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more, who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But for him who does not have, even what he, will have, he has will be taken away. So the Lord began speaking to me as I was preparing for tonight and just when I was asking about what he would really want me to focus on for this year. Um, and he said stewardship. And so he brought me to that passage. And I feel like a lot of times we are taught to uh, really release blessing in our own lives with our words and to speak life and all that stuff, which I, I do think is um, very true. So I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm not in favor of that. But I feel like we, um, we don't always look at our, what our actions are. And, uh, and I think people start speaking increase and always praying for increase before they're faithful over what they currently have. And um, we're, if we're not faithful over the resource that we do have, how can God add more? How can he increase what, um, what we're not faithful over currently? And um, the other scripture that I wanted to add is Malachi. And you probably can quote this. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 through 10. six will admit oh that's wrong sorry for I am the Lord I do not change therefore you are not cons oh, I'm sorry verse eight I lied <laughs> will a man rob God yet you have robbed me but you say in what way have we robbed you in tithes and offerings you are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me even this whole nation bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this says the Lord of hosts if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. That's Malachi. Yeah. Technology sometimes is really helpful and then sometimes not so much. So if we do not obey the instruction to tithe, we're robbing God and we're walking in disobedience. And a lot of times just like we pray for increase and we think maybe we'll tithe when we have more to give or maybe we'll, well I can't give yet because I have this debt to pay off but I'll give, that, I'll give later on when I have more money but if we can't discipline ourselves to tithe and to, to give on small amounts how are we ever going to be able to give on that, that greater amount um, I remember this a teaching that was very influential in, in our lives, Chris and I and it was right before we'd gotten hired with real <laughs> grown up jobs and we, uh, you taught on the kingdom, and it was that everything we have is because God gave it to us. Everything we have is at the pleasure of the king, that there's not, there's not a single thing in my life that I have that he did not give me, 
And when we have that revelation that, and we are truly kingdom-minded, it's really easy to, to view our income and our money as, as, um, as his resources. And he gives everybody different amounts to manage. And so we just have to be concerned with how we're managing what he gave us. But if we can't, I remember thinking, and, and tithing is something that I always saw uh, exampled in my own life. So it was, it's a very easy thing for me to do. It's, always, it's just what we've always done. But Chris, I remember feeling a little, a little worried because he didn't, he didn't grow up with that example at all. And I remember feeling like, I hope this isn't. It. And I think uh, there's some people in our lives that would think we were insane when we tell them that we tithe and how that works. And I actually remember having a conversation with a family member, and he asked, how does, how does the church survive? Is it like all, he said, donations or grants or something? like no we don't get grants (laughs) are there really are there grants available because no we don't get any grants but um we're just like well people tie that's it's a bit we will take a grant (laughs) but um i said it's a biblical instruction to tie then i mean i i okay okay, you don't never mind (laughs) i can't remember trying to explain that and just like um but I remember being really nervous and, and hoping, like, wanting to talk to Chris a lot about, we were looking for scriptures, and I'm, I just really want to make sure that this is, like, I, I feel like in my own life, in my own revelation, is that I, I would be scared, and this probably sounds very uh, not biblical, but I would be scared to not tithe. That's, for me, that's how I feel. Like, I feel like I don't care how much I have, I will always tithe, because I believe that's, um, that's walking in obedience to the Lord's instruction, and I would be really scared to walk out from under that that covering and, and to not be obedient. But so I, I began speaking to Chris about that, and it was right when uh, we were really learning about what it's like to be the kingdom and, and, what that, and what that means, and that we're not subject necessarily to the economy of the earth. And no matter what they're saying, to hold on to everything you have very tight when God tells us to give. And I remember after we heard that, we got hired, and I remember Chris and I fought over who got to write the first tithe check. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so funny. We're like, no, I want to write it. No, well, just you, I already have the checkbook. Like, just let me write it, please. And I was like, well, I get to write the next one. I mean, I remember we were happy to give. And I know that the world would think that's nuts. And um, that's just something that I feel like, for me, I, we have a good revelation about. But I know that it's a hard thing to do at first. But... Um, what the word says is that God loves a cheerful giver, and that's in, um, I believe that's Second Corinthians chapter 9, I think. God loves a cheerful giver. He, he loves a people that will give without regret and without looking back, because when you have that revelation that everything you have is from him, it's easy to, to give, and it's easy to let go of what you have, because you know more will come, and, and he'll always add when you're faithful over what you have. And, and sometimes even being a, st- a steward of the, the resources he's given us, it's not just money. I think it's our time, and I think it's our, even our home. I think a lot of times, it's just like in the early church in Acts, it said they, have all, they had all things in common, and, and they gave to where there was a need, and they, um, you know, they just took care of each other. And I believe that's, that's what God would want from us as a body, is for us to, to notice the needs of others and to be able to, to help when we can and to... You know, if somebody needs something at their home painted or if, oh, well, like, hey, I, I have paint. Let me come and help you. That kind of stuff where we just kind of have each other's backs. I believe that's even being a good steward of your time and, and all those resources. And, and I feel like when we're not, I actually think a lot of people will say, well, like, oh, this, I hate this couch. It's so gross. And um, I just want a new couch. But then they don't take care of it and they'll let, you know, the anim- animals 
pee on it or they're spilling stuff on it. And when you get a new couch, you think that you're going to be like, oh, nobody's going to touch it. I'm going to wrap it in plastic. And, no, and you're not because you don't have the habit of taking care of things. And what's the point of getting something new if you can't take care of what you have? And so I feel like a lot of times, even in our homes, if God tells you, you know, invite that couple over for dinner. They're, they're lonely. They, they, they need fellowship. Invite them over for dinner. And you can't because your kitchen table is full of garbage and your, dishes, your, your sink is full of dishes and, and it's, a, you know, a hazard, which I know some people's houses get like that, mine included. But um, if you have to clear a path to your kitchen table for people to come over, we're not being very good stewards of what God has given us. We should always be prepared to, to receive people and to have people over and to show hospitality. All of those things are, are, are stewardship. It's not just about tithing, but just part of it. And I feel like this is the year for us to really get the revelation that we're a part of God's kingdom and that everything we have is because he gave it to us. And, and just noticing those needs of other people and, and keeping things ready to, to receive others, to be hospitable, to be quick to show kindness and to be quick to give and to give with liberality and cheerfulness and to not look back and say like, oh, that check was really hard to write, but to trust that God will give everything back, that he, he always will, he always will. And as you give and as you trust and as you give more and more and more, God will just keep being faithful and he'll be like, wow, it's, it's not hard anymore. It's, it's really not. And that's when God can just, like it says, he'll open the windows of heaven and just pour out blessings and so many that you won't know what to do with. And I, and I believe that when we're good managers of, of what little we may feel like we have, that amount, that what, what we're given to manage will just increase and grow. And it's so cool when God can trust us to be good managers of the resources he's imparted to us because it's all his anyway. That's why it's easy to tithe. Because I'm like my, my job itself to me is a miracle from God. I got hired at my job, however frustrating it may be right now, but it is from God because literally nobody was being hired when I got when I got a job and I'm like, wow God, this is so cool. And so when he says, Okay, you're gonna give this person money, it's like okay. <laughs> but it just as you begin to trust the Lord to to always restore anything that, that you give out. It's just like this really, you're like, okay, fine, I'm expecting a miracle now. And um, I remember this little girl I, I babysat for a long time ago. Her dad was a pastor, and um, she got this little check of birthday money you know, from her grandma or something. He says, well, her name was Abby. He's like, well, Abby, we have to tithe. And um, her dad was telling her this, and she's like, I have to give my money away? What? <laughs> she was like, no. He's like, no, that's what the Bible says. You tithe 10%, and then if you want to give more, you can give more, and and um, so she's like, okay, fine, I'll tithe. She's having a really hard time with it. And she goes and she puts her money in the offering. And just a few days later, she gets another check um, for, like, quite a bit more. It was, like, birthday money or something. And she goes, oh, my gosh. And she realized, I tithed. I got more. And her dad's like, well, we have to tithe on this money, too. She goes, let's give it all. <laughs> she was like, she really had that revelation, like, Woo, I'll give it all. I'll get even more back. It was just it was just really funny to me. But it's such a good understanding to have. I thought it was so cool that she was getting that understanding really early on that when we give, we can give with trust. And um and that's what's so amazing about the heart of God is that his heart is never for us to lack. His heart is never for us to to be in need. And um I believe that passage of scripture says that um 
that when God loves a cheerful giver, who he, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but be who he who sows abundantly will reap abundantly. So it's such an, a neat passage of scripture. So anyway, my last word that I feel like the Lord had put on my heart was the word passion. And Mark twelve thirty, you can turn there. This is a very well quoted passage of scripture. I'm sure you know it, but Mark twelve thirty. Says Jesus, oh, this is at verse 29. Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And even Psalm, if you go through and you read all of Psalm 119, it is so long. Julia has it in her, she's going to memorize it. Like, you, you go. It's the longest, it's so long. But it's all about the passion um, and the love that the psalmist has for the instruction of God and for, uh, for his commandments and his precepts. And um, I feel like these words that the Lord had given me that per, to pursue him and to obey and to be a good steward, it, it has to happen with passion. It has to be motivated by love, by that love, loving God with all that is in us, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. It has to be motivated by passion and by love. It can't be motivated by fear. Well, I'm not going uh, like, to, I know I said, I'm like scared not to tithe, but, but um, it, it's not motivated out of uh, fear. It, to being a good steward of, of our money and tithing and, and being obedient to what the Lord tells us to do. It's not out of fear that we're going to get zapped, but it's fear, uh, it's the, the respect of, of the Lord, and it's out of love. We, we follow his commandments because we love him, and we love his word. And the more and more that, you know, you spend reading his word and just seeking him out all the time, the deeper our love grows. And it's just like, like I was saying earlier about a marriage relationship. I, for, for me, I love spending time with my husband, and we laugh all the time, and um, probably about the dumbest things ever. Uh, we're pretty much nerds, but um, like... I, I want to spend time with him because I love him, not because, I, um, because somebody's telling me I should. I don't stay faithful to him, and, 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 and I don't leave him because I have this little piece of paper that tells me to. I do it because I love him. It's all motivated out of love. That's the kind of motivation that has stamina. That's the kind of motivation that lasts. If we're only following his, his uh, commandments and only um, doing the things he tells us to do because we're afraid of what will happen if we don't, that motivation fades pretty quickly. It's not a lasting motivation. It's not a lasting way to create discipline. It has to be from love and from passion. Um, our, our love is the only thing that can motivate these principles to take, take root in our hearts. And I feel like um, a lot of times, especially in the American church, we can, we can uh, lack passion very easily because we haven't always experienced the, the desire, the, the true desperation to be in the presence of God. We've always had it available to us. We get up sometimes on Sunday morning. I do it too. Oh, I don't really feel like going to church today. I would rather stay and watch Food Network, <laughs> which is what I would think. <laughs> but um, it's very easy to just kind of go by and, and live our lives without very much passion and, and without zeal. And um, when... Some, some countries and some nations, it's so hard. I mean, they, they live their lives off of one scripture. And it's really true. You, you can live your whole life off of just one word, of one breath of God. And we haven't truly experienced the desperation, so we don't always have the passion 
And I feel like that's something the Lord is really wanting us to walk in in a new way, is passion for his word and passion for his commandments, passion to obey him quickly, passion to be a good steward for, for, of the resources he's given us, and just passion to show love to other people and to be compassionate for his people and to begin to view the world in such a way that we would understand the heart of God and that we would let him break our hearts for, for others in our lives. Because that's when we just walk closer and closer to the Lord. We can hear his heartbeat. And we know what he's about. And we can be about his business. So I feel like those are the things that I feel like the Lord is saying for this year. That we would just be a people that would be quick to obey. And quick to, um, to manage what he's given us well. And to pursue him daily. I believe, um, I heard somebody just quote this the other day. That it's Corey Tinboom. And if you don't know who Corey Tinboom is, you should research her. Um, Corey Tinboom said, you make an appointment with God and you keep it. And I feel like that's, <laughs> it's really neat. I, I, I think I, I read the story once and it was, um, it was kind of allegorical, but you, you go, it said that, um, there's this man waiting every day at this coffee shop and he's just waiting and waiting and the, the server comes up and she's like, who, you know, why are you here? And he's like, well, I had an appointment with, you know, with Julie and, um, she didn't come, but I'll come back tomorrow. And so he comes back tomorrow and and sitting there and waiting, and, oh, you have an appointment today. She didn't come, but I'll come back tomorrow. And it was, and then you get to the end of the story. I wish I could find it, and it's, and it's the Lord. And he just comes to meet with us every day, and he'll, he'll are you going to meet with me or not? <laughs> you know, and, and I'll just come back tomorrow. And it's, it, how, however, uh, the neat thing about God is that however long we do walk away and however long we just sort of exist with the knowledge that we're his children without truly having the revelation and the passion to spend time with him, he'll always be quick to meet us. And it's, uh, however much time we've gotten, uh, you know, has gotten away from us. And he, he knows that we experience busyness and he knows what season we're at in our lives. And, um, you know, even if it's, for me, I know that when I'm really trying to pursue the Lord, I feel like I try to, to read too much of the word and I get, you know, my brand, oh, well, I just got to read one more chapter because I'm usually checking off some list or something, trying to win a prize or something like that. When it's really just one scripture, just let me talk to you. Just let me spend time with you and refresh you. That's so the heart of God. So um, that's really what I have for you tonight is just pursue, obey, stewardship, and passion. So um, let's just pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord Jesus, that this year you would want to take us deeper and deeper into the things that you have for us, Lord Jesus. Father, help us to be a people that are quick to obey your commands, Lord Jesus, that obedience can become the conditioned response inside of us, that we would be quick to obey, that there wouldn't be a question in our minds, Lord, but that we would be a people that you could trust. Father, that we would be a people you can trust to have compassion on your children, Lord Jesus. Father, that this year you would increase our ability to be good stewards of what you've given us, Lord God. Father, that we would have the deep revelation that we are your children and that we're a part of your kingdom. Father, that everything we have is because you gave it to us, Lord Jesus. Father, help us to, uh, to create those disciplines in our lives, to tithe and to give. Father, because you love a cheerful giver. So, Father, help us to become that cheerful giver that you talk about in your word, that we could give without, without, um, without regret or without fear or without looking back, that we can give, Father, because we trust that you will always restore, Jesus, that you always increase when we are good managers of what you've given us. 
Father, increase our passion. Increase our passion for you. Increase our passion to spend time in your presence. Increase our passion for each other as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord God. Increase our compassion for people, Father, because we know that's your heart. Father, help us to find time in the day to pursue you, Lord Jesus. Father, help us to, to even if we need to wake up early, Lord Jesus, that Holy Spirit, you would, you would wake us up and keep us strengthened, Father, because we desire your presence. Father, let us desire your presence like we desire oxygen and water, Lord Jesus. Father, let us be desperate for your presence, Jesus, that we just can't wait to be there. Father, let obedience be our response to you, God. Let it be our first act of worship, Jesus. We just praise you, Lord. Thank you, Father.